Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Novasia podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Josh Doyle. This week, I was joined by our Editor-in-Chief, Yoel, and we spoke about the recent summit in Hanoi between the leaders of the United States and North Korea. We were joined this week by our former Editor-in-Chief, Nate Kirkhoff. Nate just finished his master's thesis on North Korea, and he's been watching the developments closely on denuclearization. So today we'll be looking at uh, a bit about what went wrong since the summit did collapse without any good results. We'll also be talking a bit about the vibe on the streets in Hanoi uh, since I was actually there on site to see some of it happen and to feel the atmosphere in the streets. So we'll be looking into all that and more on this episode of the Novasia podcast. Right, so the summit was a great disappointment, right? But uh, I heard you had a personal disappointment down there as well, didn't you, Josh? Yeah, I did. I was out there chasing down a couple of dreams myself, and I almost had my first uh, real radio broadcast um, to tell everybody in the world, you know, what the vibe was in Hanoi, what the feeling was around the summit, which was a feeling of big excitement, really. There was a lot going on in the city. And so we did the broadcast with this radio station, and then they were meant to air at 2 p.m. And we recorded at 1.30. And by 2 p.m., Mr. Donald Trump had already announced to the world that the summit was essentially canceled, that they were going home without any real results. And so Josh's radio debut was suddenly kind of tossed into the garbage can, if you will. Once the summit was canceled, I don't think anybody really cared about the, you know, positive vibe on the ground in Hanoi. So they had to cut my segments. And uh, I think it was just a really good metaphor for how my life is going and how the summit went in general, more importantly. Um, So I'm sure some progress was made there. And uh, there were some disappointments as well. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. We've got Nate here, uh, (laughs) former editor-in-chief. Nate, how you doing? I'm doing well. well. Nice Nice to be back. back. Glad to have you. We were uh, looking forward to some of your insights. So, I mean, the summit broke down. The summit in Hanoi broke down. It was was round two. Kim and Trump, round two, 2.0. People had high expectations for, you know, a number of different potential outcomes. What do you think were some of the outcomes people were hoping for going into that summit? The outcomes that people were hoping for... It depends on who you're talking with. Sure. So here in Seoul, the South Korean government, where they were really hoping that there was going to be the outline for a peace regime. Mm. And they actually had moved all of President Moon's schedule for that day. They cleared it so that he could make some great speech welcoming the deal between the wow. United States and North Korea. Yeah. yeah, because they the government really expected a temporary, or not temporary, but mm. uh, the foundations for right. a Right, some kind of deal. outline. Yeah, an outline. And by the South Korean media accounts that were quoting American sources, mm. they fully expected for that to take place wow. at the summit. It wasn't, it wasn't a fantasy. They were had good information that it was going to take place. I think that... <laughs> I think they're very, very disappointed in that outcome. Sure. Yeah. yeah, they must be. Yeah. 
Okay, so a not a, a peace agreement in itself, but the outline, the first step towards a real mm-hmm. peace treaty, um, could have been was on the table. Yep. Um, what else? What else were they hoping for would come from this? They were also hoping for sanction exemptions for inner Korean projects. Right. Yeah, we see here, since we're here in Seoul, we see what the government here wants, and what they really want is moving on they want progress on these inner korean mm-hmm. projects right so that's trains yeah they they want the the railway and energy connections yeah or connected across north korea like a giant age for hyundai right well it's yeah <laughs> ideally yeah ideally, ideally yeah and to see the stuff from space exactly yeah they want the space Right, but that's a, I mean, you say that as a joke, but it's a good point. Korean businesses, South Korean businesses are hungry to to tap into, to put their, right, exactly, to put their mark on it and to tap into there. Mm -hmm. So what exactly was the thing that that led to this huge disappointment? What was the the point that that kind of made Donald Trump walk out of the meeting and made Josh miss his radio interview. <laughs> yeah, what what yeah what, what ruined yeah, the radio is, interview for really, led to this really, breakdown in the end of my really career. This is really personal for Josh. But I think this is the most interesting part of the summit because I also remember very well getting the news alerts that the summit had ended, they weren't going to eat their fancy lunch together, mm-hmm. make the joint statement. Big letdown. Yeah, so what happened a couple hours later was President Trump had a had a press conference, obviously, and he said that the North Koreans asked for all sanction relief in return for closing down and dismantling the reactor. So this is these are his words right mm-hmm. now. This is not an official statement from the diplomats. This is him answering questions at the press conference. Right, freewheeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it seems strange on the surface because North Korea negotiating is obviously very renowned. They're excellent negotiators because their life depends on it. Mm, Yeah. And so people were suspicious from the get-go. They said, I I don't think there's any way that Kim Jong-un would demand entire, all the entire sanction regime uh, to be waived or to be, you know, dismantled in exchange for the Yongbyon mm-hmm. reactor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. They, they've always been promising all this and that about blowing up this site and that site. But there's always just the, I mean, you could just rebuild it. And I think America, the U.S. really wants, Trump seems to really want to see like a full denuclearization, whatever that means to him, but a lot. And um, North Korea just doesn't seem willing to give that right now. No, and I'm glad you said that because that was essentially the source of a lot of the problems of this summit. Mm. And, you know, the farther we've gotten away from it, the more people understood why it fell apart. The two sides still do not agree on their definition of denuclearization. Right. And then a U.S. official said as much. Uh, Basically, the next day, the media was able to talk with high-level people in the government, in the U.S. government, and they came forward and essentially said that, said that the United States and North Korea still don't have a common definition of denuclearization, Mm -hmm. and you can't negotiate denuclearization if you are arguing from different perspectives. So why did they go into the summit to begin with if they have so completely different ideas of of the terms of what they're talking about? Uh, Well, that's that's a more political thing, right? First of all, they had to have another summit because they had the first summit 
Which the accomplished first, really the first nothing summit, much. The first summit had two important legacies. Not only did it not accomplish very much, but it <laughs> also established the precedent that the only people that can make the progress are the two leaders. Mm. So what happened after the first summit was an unclear declaration, and then you have the, the technocrats who have to work on it, but mm. they're, on a, they're on completely different planes. And then so the only way you can move forward significantly is for the two leaders to meet again. So is that is that an odd thing? Is that not usually how it goes? I mean, what's what's unusual about that? You need the two leaders to meet together. Usually, would that not be the case? Yeah, no, that's completely unprecedented. They two leaders usually meet to smile and sign documents that have been rigorously prepared at lower levels. By okay, by lower yeah. level negotiating teams. Yeah. That's usually how it would go, but that's yeah. not how it's gone here. It's been no, all it's, it's been, been all flashing lights and yeah, cameras. Yeah, completely top down. Right. Yeah. Which is, you might say, how how Trump likes it. Well, that's this is very. It's just very much signature. Sure. Him. And apparently, Kim Jong Un doesn't mind things going that way either. I mean, he's, he's ruling his country top down. So right. yeah, the, he, they are both very top down. Uh, if we're gonna compare like leadership styles of the president of the United States of America and the well, think think about supreme leader of North Korea. Yeah, think about in 2018, in terms of their own. Their, their own domestic situations who had a better year kim jong-un or donald trump if you if you measure it as a relative in their own in their own spheres kim jong-un relative, had a much much better he year. had a he had a fireworks year yeah exactly he came onto the international scene he was finally part yeah. of the world again yeah. did he start wearing a western suit as well not yeah, the Mao Zedong jacket thing. yeah he, he wore that he wore that in the new year's day uh speech that he makes. <clears throat> he did right that day he did I, was, it, was it was it not beige I think it was dark. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Even obtained a kind of sense of. Fashion. He hasn't gone for that summer. No, he still isn't. Yeah, still isn't mixing up for the, the what is it? The, yeah, no. Yeah, the linen. He hasn't gone for the linen suit yet. He's not quite <laughs> right. there. Maybe right. this summer. But while you're talking about Kim and the year he had and the changes um, that we've seen from him, I think it's an interesting point to talk about his actions at the summit, which were some things we've never seen before. It was talked about a lot in the media. There was so him and Trump met for their first talk, which I think was closed, no reporters, mm -hmm. just the two of them, mano y mano, mm -hmm. getting all buddy buddy, yep. you know, having their talk. Well, they remember they're in love, right? They're in love, right? They've yeah. written several letters to each other. <laughs> they're deeply in love. It's a bromance for the ages, um, uh, to live in a time. Yep. But um, after that, they invited their aides in to have, mm -hmm. you know, a real, more more legitimate discussion. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure with translators and whatnot. And I think there were reporters present then too. And they were allowed to freely ask questions to yeah. both Trump and Kim. And we saw Kim actually answering questions. Yeah, he took a, he took a reporter's question, a mere Washington Post reporter. Washington Post reporter's question. Yeah. So this was crazy. This was a big like, thing. What do you... Um, not even Trump does that. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, know. <laughs> I know, right. So what do you think like this means from Kim? I mean, how is... A couple things. What's that going to do for his reputation back home? Do you think that'll be shown to any on any media back home? Or do you, what do you think it means for the future? I think it was a big, I think it was significant that he took a question. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the one-on-one -on -one deep digging question. It was in mm. that, it was in that setting, right? But still that he took it and he answered it. And I'm sure they will play it up back home. There, mm. The North Korean media has framed this summit as a positive summit which is sure. important if we're talking like if we change our subjects to talk about 
what's happening forward, mm -hmm. that will be one of the signs is that the media in North Korea is, is spinning it in a positive way. But going back to Kim taking the question, I think that, and this was on the first day, so this was not, obviously this was not after the summit fell apart. I mean, he would not have, obviously, he wouldn't be going to a press conference then. Right. But, you know, on the first day, he's on top of the world. Yeah. He just spent two days on a train hmm. going through China. He got a hero's welcome in Vietnam. He did. Right? Yeah. And uh, he just is in a an environment where he is holds all the cards or at least he feels that he holds all the cards. right yeah no i think he really he really did for a while and um it was really interesting to see him talk to reporters it was really see, interesting to see him candid and um even warm like he seemed mm -hmm. like a, just he just a normal guy which of course he is I, just, yeah, he definitely you can tell from me from singapore he really revels in the in the this spotlight yeah Absolutely. yeah right he's really soaking it up he's really finally becoming a bit of a man of the people i just want to get this point like he took a train down to vietnam yeah, he did. like because he can yeah uh, but he uh, i suppose he flew to singapore right he, yeah he flew a chinese plane to right. singapore so yeah. why didn't he fly to vietnam because like there's no particular reason for for him to to like not just get on a plane and do that. Why is he going through in China? As far as we know, he did not stop anywhere no. in China or do any. No, he. Thing in particular. There. The the plane to Singapore, North Korea saw is really really humiliating, mm -hmm. that they had to buy or borrow a plane from China mm -hmm. to fly to Singapore. That their planes are so old and decrepit there that was, they wouldn't trust yeah they're yeah there was a real risk that they would run out of gas on the way or yeah they said they'd, run out, they'd have to refuel or something they wanted to avoid that at all costs right. so if they are traveling on land i mean even if the summit was in stockholm uh, i think he would have taken the train there that's <laughs> well, possible know? actually yeah it is but say anywhere that he wouldn't have to have crossed an ocean he was taking a train and yeah. he had to it's interesting he had to take a, a limousine from the Vietnam border because Vietnam's train tracks are different sizes than China. Uh, yeah, uh, it's for for security to repel a Chinese invasion. Interesting. Oh, really? Uh, I did not know. That. Wow, <laughs> that's a neat little point. Right. So he had to. He stopped on the border and then took a motorcade down to Hanoi. Right. But, the old motorcade. Yeah, but still the running he, bodyguards. Yeah, those, that's still the two things that are my favorite. Image. My two favorite optical <laughs> yeah, are the jogging bodyguards and his sister peeking around the peeking corner, around the corner oh, popping up everywhere. And one time, Singapore. Yeah. I know. Yeah, she was there a couple yeah. times this time, holding an ashtray for holding him. Holding an ashtray, an ashtray for him. And I read one report saying, as you as you probably heard from Singapore, he travels with his own toilet. They collect. All of his excrement. Excrement. Yeah. No. Yeah, they don't. They they don't want foreign intelligence. Okay, makes no yeah. yeah, any any <laughs> DNA evidence of him at all. Well, does I mean this might be getting a little sidetracked, but I've heard that some of the Kim Jong Un lore or the Kim family folklore in North Korea is that he doesn't indeed use the bathroom. Oh well, I mean that that that's that still be, going on. I, yeah, I don't know about that. We we'll <laughs> have to talk with different people about that. But right. yeah, he does. He they he takes a toilet for they to collect no DNA and and they also said that his sister holds the ashtray for him because he's a family member. Like that's how there's he's so paranoid mm -hmm. that 
other people don't even hold his ashtray. Right. His sister holds it for him. Yeah, it's a funny relationship with her, actually. And it seems that she has... It's it's still kind of unknown how much influence she actually has. Then, yeah, it's a good point. She also loves the spotlight as well. If you remember from the Olympics last year, mm. she just was absolutely loving all the attention that she was getting coming down, taking the train to Seoul Station, and then riding across KTX to Gangneung and having the camera because she was sitting next to the president during the opening ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Next so to she, Moon Jae-in. She, if you remember, she was sitting next to Moon Jae-in behind Mike Pence. Right. Yeah, so they were taking <laughs> right pictures the together. Yeah. So all the pictures, they were in the pictures together with yeah. Mike Pence with his stone face. So that was her coming out. So she came out. It's funny. It's a funny image. She kind of came out to the world yeah. before Kim Jong-un did. Yes. And then on this trip, when the train came down, the first one to get off was her again. Yeah. So she stepped out. She, she mm-hmm. skipped off of the... Before. Off of, she picked her head out and skipped off. Right. Yeah. She looked a little... She, I'll, I'll be honest. She looked a little awkward, a little bit. I mean, as she would yeah. be, you know, it's a yes. huge moment. Everyone's a little nervous, so mm-hmm. I won't falter that. But um, it was, later on, it was also shown that she went back on the train. Everybody came out. Mm-hmm. And then her brother, Kim Jong-un, was shaking hands with Vietnamese leaders. And she came off the train again and brushed past, almost pushed past... Um, a North Korean leader. I can't remember who it was exactly, but the South Korean media made, media made a big deal out of this because she really just nudged his arm without any concern, and he was a top level. Aide. Yeah, I think I think that if you're in the Kim family, you get to you do you, you get to you push get to past. past people. You do whatever it's you like, want. It's like old people on the subway here. Yeah. You you push right. <laughs> And that's, yeah. that's how you get from me to be. Old people on the side over here, they're just like the Kim family. They're just like yeah, the Kim we'll, family, we'll, really. We'll edit that part. Yeah, I'll edit that out. <laughs> um, what's, uh, so, you said like the North Korean media was putting a positive spin on it. Mm-hmm. You had um, Pompeo was putting a, trying to put a positive spin on it. Trump mm-hmm. was trying to put a positive romantic spin on it. Mm-hmm. But like, who really deserves to put a positive spin on this summit? Like, who who really came out on top, so to speak? I don't think anybody came out on top. Mm-hmm. And I think the summit ended in almost the exact places that, it, that everyone was in before it happened. Mm-hmm. North Korea... Mm-hmm. North Korea de facto is coming out on top because it's more time of them really not giving up very much. And yeah, yeah they're not getting as much in return, but... The scale is different. Yeah. And people didn't move forward or backward as much. It's just that the span of time, North Korea is moving forward. Mm-hmm. But still, I, there weren't a lot of big steps. And the fact that the North Korean media played it as a positive, I think, is a big sign. There are the North Korean experts, the people who have been working in the field for years and decades, they really emphasize on the message that North Korea is telling its people. Mm-hmm. That is a really big indicator of the like the pulse of what the government is thinking. And the fact that it put a positive spin means that North Korea probably will continue with its delicate state of not making outwardly aggressive actions in order to leave the door open for more negotiation. Right. Yeah, that's the one thing we've seen taken out of the equation is the 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 aggressive actions the nuclear mm-hmm. testing the cursing and whatnot and you said that we may have ended up exactly where we started but i'm wondering if there hasn't been a little bit of a shift in power and what i mean by that is that i think going into this a lot of people in the states a lot of trump watchers and a lot of people observing this whole relationship have felt that 
that President Trump really was giving away a lot. Whether that's true or not, if you look at the real details, maybe it's not, maybe he wasn't giving away so much. But there was a lot of people saying, you know, North Korea hasn't done anything, nothing meaningful towards denuclearization, nothing at all. And yet Trump is talking about being in love. He's giving mm -hmm. Kim all these breaks. He's canceling uh, joint military drills with South Korea, which, you know, a lot of people, especially um, North Korea hawks, thought was a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people were worried that he was coming to this, to this um, summit a little bit desperate for a deal, that he might try so hard for a deal any deal that even if it was the wrong deal just so he could go mm -hmm. home with something yeah and the fact that he didn't do that i think may have i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this brought some power back to the united states may have shifted the balance again and kept north korea on its toes a little bit showing them that we're not that desperate for a deal if you don't give us what we want we're willing to drag this process out just as long as you are what right do you think? that's I, that, I i can't disagree with any of that but the problem is while there is no deal, time is still on North Korea's side. So, and this is what this is what our what our standard is for the American president negotiating. That people are yes praising the fact that he made no deal instead of a bad deal. But the issue, the fundamental issue, is that there shouldn't have been this meeting in the first place because there was not enough There weren't enough agreement on the most basic items that were on the negotiating table by mm -hmm. the lower level people whose job it is to come to agreement so that the leaders can come in and essentially sign the declaration. Right. So the fact that there are still such fundamental disagreements of what they're even negotiating over is the issue. So yes, the consensus is that the president gets credit for making, taking no deal instead of taking a bad deal. But the fact is that this is the second time they've met in less than a year, and they were not meeting in a time of momentum. They were trying to meet to start the momentum again. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. No, we'll see what happens going forward. Right, right. I'm sure they're, they're, the people are going right back to work. Yep. They haven't talked about when they'll meet again, but they're positive that Kim Jong-un said that he hopes to meet with President Trump again. Mm -hmm. And like I said, time is de facto on North Korea's side because they have not stopped producing. They're not testing, but they haven't stopped producing. Still making things, yep. still expanding their yep. nuclear yep. arsenal, mm -hmm. which is an interesting thing. Amidst all these talks, they're still growing. Oh yeah. They're not, they're doing the opposite of denuclearizing, Yeah. which was another interesting thing. They're talking about giving up Yongbyon, but there's still a whole lot going on. There's probably mm -hmm. some things the U.S. maybe still doesn't know about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they haven't made any big steps at all yet. And uh, I wonder if they ever will. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you think they'll ever even dial it back or do, will they ever go past a certain point of reducing their arsenal? That's, I mean, that's the most basic question right there that mm. people at the highest levels of government are trying to answer mm. I mean, it doesn't seem like they would ever give up their nuclear weapons at this point right right that and that's that's kind of a hard reality that people don't want to say out loud mm. because if you say that out loud and you strip it to its core what you're saying is this little this tiny country that has no resources and no wealth was able to against all odds develop this program and essentially get what it wants not for the country but 
you know, the rulers of the country, they get insulated in their security mm-hmm. in the face of enormous consequences. Which never, yeah. Yeah, and that's really and that's a really that's a really difficult truth for a lot of people to, yeah, to come to. It really speaks to what America is actually capable of mm-hmm. these days. I mean, there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of pressure, but at the same time, they still were able to do all that, like you just said. And right, so it's so it's a perception thing mm-hmm. overall, and and the people who have who have studied it for a long time, and a person who I who I follow his statements is Taeyong Ho the mm-hmm. the defector mm-hmm. defector in 2016 he's mm. one of the highest level defectors he said that Kim Jong-un is not ever going to give up his weapons right and mm-hmm. I mean there's a very good case for that yeah like, yeah. He, did, like he said like because he just in October maybe mm-hmm. he gave a talk here at uh, you know, university and yeah. he pointed out how how basically when uh, when China got nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. uh, then very soon after that, uh, the United States opened up diplomatic relations with them. It changed the dynamic of, yeah. the, of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's like how, just pointing out how this happened in the case of Soviet Union as well. Like, uh, or, yeah, it happened. It yeah. has happened there. And if you if you if you look at the technical aspects of it, and you take out and if you make it anonymous, as in you take out the names of the countries and the history of it, if you just say country A and country B, mm-hmm. and you line up all of the details of what the situation is without knowing that one is North Korea, one is the United States, and the history and all of that, then you look at it and from a completely, completely rational perspective, you'd say, why would the country ever give up its nuclear weapons yeah. facing this situation? Yeah. And But, you know, when you add on the reality of it mm-hmm. then it's a very difficult mm-hmm. difficult thing for people to accept yeah. right but it doesn't seem like they will and i think maybe if they did or if he did rather kim jong-un might even see some backlash from leaders in his own uh yeah that was that was a word people are worried that kim jong-un will have you know they say donald trump has his own domestic challenges back home but some people are saying kim jong-un has his own as well sure so we'll sure. see going forward we'll see how that what influence that has. So Josh, you were there on the ground in Hanoi eating the street food and dodging like the what are these motor called bikes. the motor motorbikes and all, all that thing. Like it set the scene. How what was it like to be there? Right. So before um, everything fell apart, it was a real feeling of excitement in the city. You could kind of just feel it bubbling up under the surface everywhere you went. There were a ton of news crews out. You, you walk around the lake. There's a lake in the middle of Hanoi. You walk around it at night and there were just little pods of like three or four people, four cameraman and a, a newscaster just setting up wherever they wanted to uh, broadcast to their whatever their countries back home. And just everywhere you went, there was a real buzz. There were performances throughout the city. They, they set up big TV screens to show progress that are never there at any other time. Uh, there were barricades everywhere. The, the people were lining up, like crowding around these barricades to get a look at Kim and Trump as they pulled into a hotel or pulled out the back door. I don't think anybody ever saw them. Security did a great job of um, keeping people at a safe distance to give the, both leaders a little bit of uh, breathing room, but it didn't stop people from trying. And there was just a whole lot of excitement everywhere you went. 
and a lot of local businesses really jumped in on it. There was one actually a barber shop where the owner of the shop was giving out free haircuts and, and hair dyes if you wanted to get your hair done in the style of Kim Jong-un or Donald Trump. Did you? Why didn't you take advantage? Why didn't I do it? What if you that's, came, that's getting back, old, man, like you came <laughs> back to Korea with a Kim Jong-un haircut? I really should and have. How, and also, that's curious. How would you do? How does one do a Donald Trump haircut where his hair is not even real? I think it. That's, a, that's a big de- debate. I, is it not real? Ah, uh, there's there's looks like physical evidence of it blowing off of his head. Really? Uh, so it's a Photoshop. Photoshop. That's Photoshop. It's a full-on toupee. Uh, no, I don't know. But, I mean, there were there were older Hanoi Vietnamese gentlemen getting their hair dyed blonde and the whole, like, back-to-the-side <laughs> quaff. And then there were young kids with, like, getting this, like, straight skin fade brush cut mm-hmm. and for free. And he was just, like, setting it up. Camera crews were in there. They were loving it. And there were restaurants. They were doing drinks. There was a drink called a Rocket Man. That's Rock <laughs> It Man. So they changed it a little bit. Diplomatically, yep. Mm-hmm. And then there were one restaurant that had two different burgers. One was like called a Dirty Donald, and one was, you know what? I can't remember the name of Kim's Burger. But they, the whole city was loving it. There were there were painters. Every paint shop you went to, they had paintings of Kim and Trump, and uh, the city just ate it up. They, you could see they were really happy to have the event, and the people really welcomed it in. And so it was a shame that it ended like that. But I think the city probably still benefited from it a lot. It was a cool place to be. It seems like it. I, you know, Singapore also. There's a lot of energy, but it's a different scene. Mm. Vietnam has a a significant history with North Korea. They do, and with the United States, is very symbolic location. Yeah, and you could tell that it was really taking advantage of the two different worlds that Vietnam is in right now. Yep. Let's not forget the fact that Donald Trump finally got to Vietnam. And also the fact that was a funny, there's a funny narrative in the American media that Donald Trump, he finally made it to Vietnam and he, yeah, yeah he got, he, he lost, he finally lost in Vietnam. <laughs> he finally made it. Yeah. Despite those bone spurs, you know, he's been itching to get to Vietnam ever since, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he finally made it. Trump and Kim in Vietnam didn't end how we thought it would, but uh, hey, there's always next time.